John 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a woman from Samaria came to draw water, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to her, him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman said to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will, time change, sorry, I lost my place. (laughs) Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who, who, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. 
It is fitting that we talk about living water today when we walk through living water on the way here. And, and, and just as a visual of, of what I think we get a glimpse of in Jesus' words, I, I saw this morning as I walked in, because there was water everywhere. I actually sat in my truck for an extra 15 minutes waiting for a break so I could get from my car to the office without too because I don't believe in umbrellas. One of my many faults and issues. <laughs> but as I was walking and running and, and trying to dodge the puddles, I, I also saw in that living water of all the water that was coming and hitting this roof and the other roof and, and, and coming and it was, there was a river running through our parking lot. And you know what the best part about that river was? It was yellow. It was washing the pollen away. Amen. That's what living water does. It takes the yuck and it washes it away. That's the difference between living water and stagnant water, right? Living water. Living water. It moves. It filters. It cleanses. Stagnant water stinks. It sits. It accumulates. In Scripture, there's lots of talk about wells and living water. There's also talk about when we mix it up, when we mess it up, and we create cisterns to hold water. And the Scriptures are, are abundantly clear that living water, moving water, life-giving water is far better than stagnant, stale, stinky water. This is Jesus. The living water who comes and washes you clean, who makes you whole, who restores and revives your soul and gives you life. We have a font. Some churches have a font with living water in it. It's, a, it's moving water. Ours is, is pretty stagnant. It, it's a bowl and it holds water. But, but what is in there is living water that gives you life. It washes you clean. And so in light of that truth, of the living water of Jesus given to you in your baptism, where Jesus names you and claims you and washes you clean, I do something now that I typically do earlier. It is by the blood of Jesus. It is through the living water of Jesus welling up within you. It is by his death and his resurrection that I declare to you that you are forgiven. You are washed. You are made clean always by Jesus as a called and ordained minister of the church of Christ and by his authority because of the living water I declare to you the forgiveness of all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Life giving living water. Today's gospel is a lengthy one and it's 
got so many different layers, so many different elements to it that are profound and powerful. And the first thing that that I want to share with you is it said that Jesus had to go to Samaria. Two things about that. In the days of Jesus, the common practice, the common custom was to avoid Samaria. To take the long way around so you wouldn't go through. Right? The, the faithful Jewish folks, they didn't associate themselves with Samaria. They didn't even want to set foot in the country, right? Be like me as a Buckeye avoiding Ann Arbor, Michigan with everything I've got. Right? I know, I'm sorry. I'm just giving the example. Jesus and, and that time, they, they avoided Samaria, but, but it says that Jesus had to go to Samaria. But the other thing is, the, the, the route from where they were to where they were going, logistically, they didn't have to go to Samaria. Samaria was out of the way. So whereas most people go out of their way to avoid Samaria, Jesus on this journey went out of his way to go to the land that nobody else wanted to go to. It was not a logistical imperative that they go to Samaria. It was a divine necessity. Jesus had to go to Samaria because he had a divine appointment with the woman at the well. She was the reason for him going. He went to Samaria, out of the way, long way around, extra journey, extra mileage on his tires, because he had to meet with the woman at the well. Here's the point. Sometimes, all the time, God goes out of his way to bring you grace. It's not convenient. It's his mission. Jesus comes to you like he comes to the woman at the well. Not because it made sense, not because it was the right pit stop along the way. No, Jesus comes to you because you, bringing you grace, bringing you goodness, bringing you life-giving water, bringing you into his fold is the point. That's the point. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus does. It's not convenient. It's his mission, to make you belong, to remind you that you are loved. And I love that throughout this whole scripture, part of what is happening is there is an uncovering, an uncovering of layers, there was a, there's a constant contrast between what Jesus is doing and, and what he's doing against or, or, or in, a, in a opposition to the, the way things were. 
Right? Last week we, we heard, and I mostly focused on John 3.16, but that was the story of the encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a, 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 the leader of the Jews, right? So he wasn't just like, a, he, he was like the guy. Everybody looked to Nicodemus. He had a name. He had a reputation. He had a position. He had authority. He, he, was, he was the guy. And in John 3, we, we learn that Jesus, or Nicodemus was curious about Jesus, but he came to, Nic- to Jesus at night. Now we have a Samaritan who's a woman. Cultural no-no to be in Samaria. Further deepening of that no-no, that taboo, to, to have a man talking to a woman that wasn't his family, his bride. In the middle of the day, not the middle of the night. We, we don't really know how Nicodemus responded to Jesus, but it was certainly questioning. It was certainly confusion. It was certainly not understanding. And here Jesus goes out of his way to a forbidden area to speak in a situation that everybody would have questioned a woman in the middle of the day, and her response is receptive. She hears him. She's confused. She doesn't get it at first. Who would of us, how many of us would have? But there's a contrast. Do you see the contrast? Jesus is always breaking the rules. Right? You don't get crucified if you're a nice guy. He always broke the rules with purpose, with grace, with the gospel. And here, I think, is part of what the gospel is, part of what Jesus is, is breaking down, part of the walls that are being built up, and Jesus takes a sledgehammer to them, I think is this. Religion says, oh no, I'm in trouble, my dad is going to kill me. You been there? Jesus, faith, says, oh no, I'm in trouble, I need to call my daddy. Do you see the difference? Do you see what the gospel is? We don't know, we don't know what, what is going on with this woman in her life. Lots have been written about it, lots have been uncovered, lots of, of, of uh, things have been put on her, but what we know from Scripture says that she had five husbands. We don't know if it was death, we don't know if it was divorce, we don't know if, we don't know. We know that Jesus didn't come to her and condemn her. He came to her and redeemed her. He offered her life. He made her a part. You get to be a part 
Right? That's the whole thing where, where she's saying, but, but what, why you're talking to me, that's strange, but you're also telling me that, that, you, that, that I can come to, I mean, Jewish people say we got to worship over there, and, and my people say we got to worship here, and I, what, what, do you, what does this all make sense of? And, and Jesus is saying, the time is now. We're worshipers of me. Worship in spirit and truth. It's not about the place. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. If you're a, uh, an avid reader or a moviegoer, you, you probably have a genre that you like. A genre of movie, a genre of book that you enjoy. And, and if you have done any studying, or maybe this will be first news to you, but I think it'll resonate quickly, that in each genre of literature or movie making, there are obligatory scenes, scenes that have to be there for things to make sense, right? It's not an action movie if there's not a car chase of some sort, right? It's not a romance novel if the two lovebirds don't break up at some point, right? It's not a, a thriller if there's not that moment when the villain attacks somebody close to the main hero and it gets personal, right? There, there are scenes that are a part of the genre that they, they only make sense if they're in the story, right? In Scripture, the well is one of those obligatory scenes. It's a scene that tells us something more that is happening than just what we see. In Scripture, things that happen at a well lead to weddings, right? And it always has kind of the same story, the same narrative. There's a journey from somebody to the well. There's an, a, a drink offered, a drink given in the midst of a meeting between a guy and a gal. And there's hospitality, come and stay, stay with us. And it, it leads to a wedding. It happened with Isaac and Rebecca. It happened with Jacob and Rachel. It happened with Moses and Zipporah. Each one of these happens at a well. It's the place where lovebirds come to meet, fall in love, and get married. That's the, the, the type scene of the well in Scripture. It always points to a marriage. And so th this encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well happens here. And, and it's, it's significant. It's, it's not accidental that Jesus brings up her married life. Bring your husband. Well, I've got, I've had five husbands, right? Jesus names it. The one you're with now isn't even your husband. That's, that's six, right? That number's important. We'll come back to it. What, what does it mean? What is, what is happening here? We don't know what happened to her husbands. We don't know her, the whole story of her faith, the whole story of her love life. But here's what I do know. 
people that have been married five times have struggled in love. Whether it's five deaths, five divorces, some combination thereof. That has an impact, yes? That leaves scars and wounds, yes? That makes us question belonging and worth. Where do I fit in? Am I worth anything? Am I valued? And what does Jesus do? He shows up. Again, a wedding scene. Jesus invites her into the family, into the community. Jesus, the bridegroom, she's a part of the church, his bride. She's welcomed in to the place, the only place, where all those questions, all that longing, all that brokenness that she felt, that we feel. Where do I fit in? Where do I belong? What's my worth? What's my value? Jesus doesn't condemn her. He says, let me show you. Come into my family. Join the wedding feast where you are now connected to the bride and I forever in the bridegroom. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? One of the most important parts of the wedding feast is that the guests don't get thirsty. One of the most important elements of our lives is the, the longest, the deepest longings of our hearts that they would be satisfied, right? I mean, that's what we spend our days striving for, that we would be satisfied, that our longings, our desires would be met. And we have all different ways. Our culture, our society has found all different kind of ways to try and meet those desires. And Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. I'm the only one that will meet your needs. I'm the only one. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You know, that's the first time that Jesus confessed that he was the Messiah. I think that's pretty important. I'm the one that will fill all of your longings. Final point is this. She makes a big deal that this is Jacob's well. 
This is the, the well where our forefather Jacob drank. He, he gave it to his son. And through the generations, it's finally been given to us. This is where we find life, right? I mean, in, in all of those days, you and I, we don't think much about water. It's pretty accessible to us most of the time. Life depended on wells in Old Testament times, right? Hear the story of Jacob and his well when he meets Leah and Rachel. Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. Flocks, sheep. Who are we but sheep? The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep. And put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. There was a large rock covering the well. And the shepherd had to roll it away. This, my brothers and sisters, is how you have access to living water. For there was another tomb, another womb, another well that was covered by a large rock and the sheep needed water. You and I need water. And it took the great shepherd to roll the stone away so living water could flow out. The difference between Jacob's well and the living water is that tomb never had the stone rolled back. Living water still flows. And it continues to water you, his sheep, forever. The living water wells up within you. This is Jesus, the living water, who doesn't condemn you, but washes you, who doesn't make you question your value and worth, but says you are of infinite value and worth, and you're mine, you're a part of the bride. Come, drink, and you will be satisfied. In the name of Christ, amen.